What's up? Welcome to this week's sermon podcast of Living Word Pretoria East. Here, you can listen to our latest weekly sermon for your spiritual growth. We believe that this message will really bless you. Amen. Amen. So we're busy with Holy Spirit, and I want to touch on something because we do types and, and what He's like. And, and this morning, if I want to say for, let's say for 50 points, all right, you need to, to name the most common type of Holy Spirit in Scripture. What would you say? What is the most common type of Holy Spirit? A type. All right? Type. Say again. Okay. Dove, water, wind. All right, so if you say water, if you say wind, or if you say dove, sorry to say, but you have zero points. Okay, zero fire, zero points, all right? If you say oil, it would have been 50 points better off than where you were 10 seconds ago, all right? 50 points, but it actually, those points mean nothing, okay? So let's just ignore that and go on, all right? Oil, oil, all right? Oil, in Scripture, always oil is an emblem of the Holy Spirit. All right, oil is an emblem of the Holy Spirit. And, and have you ever thought of what oil was used or how oil was used in Bible times and, and what picture it gives us as well of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? All right, and if you've not, maybe we're going to look at that today, how the Holy Spirit is likened or a type of oil. All right, and there's some fantastic stories in the Bible, in the Old Testament especially, all right, that, that holds great instruction for us. And even some of it gives us great warnings, all right? There's, there's the way we should use oil, a type of the Holy Spirit. There's great instruction, but even warnings for us in how to use it, all right? So now that I've got your, your interest kindled, let's begin. Oil in the Bible. Can you think of what oil was used for in the Bible? Or not just even in the Bible, but what's oil used for today, all right? Today. Hey? Sit. Cooking. All right, good. That's a, that's a good, better one that I heard. All right. When we worship loud, sometimes the ears get closed. For your car. All right. Good. That's true. Another one. Anointing. Olive oil. Who said olive oil? That's good. Emma, well done. Because when we speak of oil in the Bible, it speaks especially of olive oil. All right, so olive oil or oil was used for cooking, as we said. It was used for ointment of the hair. It was used for your skin. Maybe it was used for massages, you know, for sore muscles. Maybe, maybe not. Um, it was used to be a source of light, to burn light, especially in the temple. And, uh, you know, in, in, in um, common places for anointing was also for the kings, the priests, the prophets. So it was used for anointing. And then also oil is a general type of the Holy Spirit because of the attributes or the um, properties and the uses that it's got. All right, so, so we're going to look at that. Now, Pastor David Guzik, he's a, he's, a, he's a pastor, but he's well known, he's popular for his verse-by-verse, verse, online, verse-by-verse verse commentary on the Bible. So you can Google if you want to, David Guzik. It's an online verse-by-verse verse commentary of the Bible, very good. And he's got some great points on oil as well, the usage of oil. All right, and as we said, oil lubricates. It's like your engine, it lubricates. And how many of you know that, that when things are lubricated, you know, there's, a, there's less friction, there's less wear. And even if the Holy Spirit anoints us and oils us, there's even less friction among brothers. 
We said it this morning. How good is it if brothers can do good to one another, especially to those of the household of faith. Amen. So when we have the anointing, there's less friction among us. We're lubricated by God's Spirit. Oil uh, is used for healing. All right? There's medicinal treatment. In Bible times, the oil was used for that. And in Luke 10, we also see that God's uh, Spirit, the Spirit of God, brings healing and restoration to us. So it's likened to the healing and the restoring of our lives. Oil lights when it's burned in a lamp. And God's Spirit is our light. When His anointing, His oil comes, we burn like a light. It, is, uh, it warms us. Oil warms when it's used for, for fuel, for flame. All right, so you can, you can use that. And when God's presence and Spirit is there, we have warmth. We have comfort. We have His fire. Amen. Oil refreshes us, all right, when it's used in a massage. When you use it therapeutically or so, the Holy Spirit comes in the same way and it revitalizes and refreshes us for His service. So if you know good quality of perfume, oil adorns when it's applied or used as perfume, when it's the base of perfume. And so the Holy Spirit comes and He gives us through His anointing a, a, a fragrance it makes us to be more pleasant around. Amen. So I can do a bit more with that. Why you laugh? <laughs> Amen. We can do a bit more of that to make us more pleasant to be around with. And uh, also it's used to polish material or, or like to shine metal. And the Holy Spirit comes and he removes some of the dirt. And he smooths out the rough edges in our lives. Isn't it? Amen. You know what I talk about. For those who were rough, and you know how the Holy Spirit comes and changes your life. It's just by His Spirit that He does that. So, so can you think of where was oil first used in the Bible? All right? So keep in mind oil as a comparison to the Holy Spirit. All right? A type of Holy Spirit. Where in the Bible, all right, was the first time that they used oil? And to be fair, all right? This question is actually called rhetorical, all right? It means you don't have to answer back. It's just to make you think. But if you know, you get a 50 extra points, okay? All right, so here is where oil is first mentioned in the Bible. It's in a well-known story, you know, and an important time in the life of Jacob. He fled from his brother Esau, and God tells him actually to go back to, to his, his Canaan, go back to the, the home that he left, all right? And we see that in Genesis 28 from verse 10. You know the story about Jacob's dream, so let's read that quickly, a, a couple of verses. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and he stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on earth. On the top it reached to heaven, and behold, angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Verse 16. And Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. And he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head. He set it up for a pillar, and he poured oil on the top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at first. All right, so this is the first mention of oil and the use in the Bible. All right. So, so he says here that Jacob had an encounter with God. He travels uh, to Haran, and he rests his head upon a stone. Man. That's what you normally do, right? 
All right, you put your head on a stone. Men, men were obviously harder back then than now. Way harder, all right? And somehow he's falling asleep, putting his head on a stone. So just to, just to prove you something quickly, us burkis are much tougher than the rest of you, okay? When you sleep really, really, really well, what do you say? Adrian, what will you say? <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> Friendly. <laughs> no, you said I slept like a baby, isn't it? Yeah, true. All right. What do you say in Afrikaans when you slept really, really, really well? All right. Which is much tougher than you other guys. Okay. True. I always speak the truth. Come on. So Jacob has a dream. It's an unusual dream. It's a stairway to heaven, ascending and descending angels. The Lord standing speaks to him. And, 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 and he assures his promises and all these things that he promised to his fathers before him, to Abraham and Isaac. And upon awakening, he says, hey, yeah, I was thinking that I'm all alone and actually God is in this place and I didn't know it. And he's just like, yeah, is God. And he takes the stone that he rested his head upon. He sets it up as a pillar and it says, and he anoints, he pours oil, anointing oil on the stone. And he calls the place Bethel, house of God. So he's an encounter of God. He anoints the stone. All right. And what are we to make of this? Because it's a slightly odd story, isn't it? If you were camping out, you were looking not for a stone to put on your head, right? All right. Why rest upon a stone? So, so this is the thing. And then it gets weirder because after experiencing God, you take oil and you pour it on the stone. And then you set a stone up as a pillar and uh, as a sign to commemorate this occasion. That's quite a weird story. But it's something significant in this because we talk about types and everything in the Bible points to Jesus. Amen. So does this first mention of oil in the Bible maybe point to something bigger? All right. Or was Jacob just simply an inexperienced camper? He didn't know what to do. But we know, looking at future events, looking at the story because perfect sight is hindsight. So when we look back, we know that this event was actually such a big deal in Jacob's life. Amen? Because just look at how God referenced himself to Jacob in terms of this event. In the book of Genesis 31, 13, when God tells Jacob to leave Laban and return to, to, to his promised land, he says this, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. So when God speaks to him, he references himself and says, this is who I am, the God of Bethel, where you anointed a rock with oil. We anointed a pillar with oil. That's how God introduced or refers himself to when he speaks to Jacob. And when Jacob returns to the promised land, all right, where he was told by God to go, and when he did that, this is how he comes and repeats his experience, Genesis 35. God said to Jacob, verse 1, Arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar to God. Verse 14, because it was a long journey. Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone, again, and he poured out a drink offering and he poured out oil on it. So again, God reaffirms this experience. It's interesting because when we know the story of how God worked with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he has all his sons and all these things, and they end up with Joseph, they end up in Egypt, and after many years, then Jacob is taken to Egypt. And just before Jacob dies, he blesses every son. He gives a blessing. 
And this is the, the way that God or, or Jacob describes the Messiah. Remember, everything points to Christ, to the Messiah. And this is how Jacob comes and describes the Messiah that will come from God. When he blesses Jacob, listen to what he says, or when he blesses his sons. Genesis 49, 24. He speaks of the Messiah, says, Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd and the stone of Israel. So he comes and he prophesies, he blesses, but he says, this is what it will be, the shepherd and the stone of Israel. So he speaks something to the future, prophecy. And he speaks and he declares. So it's not the stone, it's not what, but actually who is the stone. Amen? It's not the what, but the who. Because we can see the way that Jacob encounters in Genesis 28, the stone and Jacob's experience of heaven opening up and angels ascending and descending. And he says, this is the house of God. This is the stone of Israel, the coming Messiah, amen, that was prophesied over Joseph as he, as he blesses him. What he actually says is in picture form, in picture form he says that the stone that Jacob rested his head upon in Bethel, there where it's the stairway of heaven, this stone is the Messiah. This stone is Jesus. He's the door, the way, the truth, and the life. This is the stone. And this is what he says that this is the one. He is the one that we all should rest upon. That's what it says. He rested his head upon a stone and he made it a pillar. And he says, actually, this is for us. Because Jesus has said as a stone in Israel, he says, we should rest on the stone likewise. Amen. And he says that Jesus, the true Messiah, shall stand in the midst of Israel as a stone, as a sign to all. And Paul comes in the book of Romans and then he writes this. He says, Romans 9.33, as it is written, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. I put a stone and whoever believes in him will not put to shame. Matthew 21, 44, Jesus speaks it. He says, and the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. When he falls on anyone, the stone, it will crush him. So he says this, this is the reality that you can find either you rest upon the stone as Jacob did, or you can stumble over the stone and you can be broken to pieces by it. It's your position. Either rest upon him or be crushed by him. He calls you to say, come, there's a position that you need to take. Amen? Amen. So like Jacob, we need to place the weight of our whole life upon the stone. And we will find that this stone will hold us up for all eternity. Amen. That God can carry us. That God, God is faithful. But he says this, if you choose against this, this stone will fall upon us and it will be crushed. We will be crushed under the weight. So there's two ways that you can choose. The question is, are you resting upon the stone? Are you resting upon the stone? And we'll say, but I'm a Christian, right? I'm standing on the rock, my brother. Great, but are you resting on the stone? Are you resting on him? Because as we said, it, it can be scary, all right, if we only focus on what's happening. You need to focus on the stone that cannot move. All right, so jumping back to our story about the oil, because that's the type we're following. So he pours oil on the stone. So what is that? 
In picture form, it portrays actually the anointing of God's Spirit that would come upon the true stone, the Messiah. It was just a prophetic declaration that He is the stone and that He will carry the anointing. Amen. Luke 4, 17, we say, The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, to Jesus. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Amen. And when Jesus ascended to heaven, they write the, the Acts of the Apostles. And Acts 10, 37 says this, You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism of John that he proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Amen. So that was the first mention in the Bible of oil is with Jacob, anointing the stone. And it speaks to Christ, the Messiah, that will be anointed. But there's another odd story that I quickly want to share before we get done. And that's a story because, you know, it writes about the anointing of the stone, the coming of the Messiah. But the oil will not just be limited to the greatest of the great. He says the oil is also for the least of the least. Amen. It's for all of us. And this is what he says. The, the oil was used for the lowest of the lowest. The, the greatest outcast in Israel, they were anointed to be cleansed and to be set free. And God wants to do that for us as well. Again, in picture form, we will see this includes you and me. Amen. The old story I want to share, all right, it's in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 14. All right, if you don't know where it is, you don't go there often, just look for the shiny pages in your Bible. All right, Leviticus. That's where it is. Leviticus 14, it says this story. It says, it's wonderful because Leviticus gives so much pictures and instructions for us concerning the use of oil. All right, how to cleanse, especially lepers as well, because there's significance in that. There's so much symbolism, but we're going to skip all of that, all right? We're just going to read the, the last couple of verses. But if you, if you read the first couple of verses in Leviticus, you'll see the rituals and as they go through. So for the first seven days, they go through a certain ritual, all right? And then on the eighth day, they come and they, be, they, they are presented to the Lord by the priest. Leviticus 14 verse 10, it says, And on the eighth day he shall take two male lambs without blemish, one ewe lamb a year old without blemish, and a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, and one log of oil. And the priest who cleanses him shall set the man who is to be cleansed and these things before the Lord at the entrance of the tent meeting. And the priest shall take one of the male lambs and offer it for a guild offering along with a log of oil and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb in the place where they killed the sin offering and the burnt offering in a place of the sanctuary. For the guild offering like the sin offering belongs to the priest. It's most holy. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the guild offering and the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed on the right thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Listen to it, it's important. Then the priest shall take some of the log of oil, pour it into the palm of his own left hand, 
dip his right finger in it and in his left hand, and he will sprinkle some oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And some of the oil that remains in his hand, the priest shall put on the lobe of his right ear of the one who is to be cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand, on the big toe of his right foot, and on top of the blood and the guilt offering. And the rest of the oil that's in the priest's hand shall be put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. And then the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. All right, good. That was a whole big passage. We need to get those pages, you know, clean. It's easy to read scriptures like this, all right? And think, okay, but that's odd. That's pretty weird, isn't it? You know? But it was such specific instructions. So detailed. And you need to know that, that nothing is just random. Okay? Nothing is random. All of it comes from the mind of God who knows exactly what He says and what He means. Amen? It comes from the mind of God and He says, this is what we're going to do to cleanse lepers. Also, sinners throughout the ages. All right, because leprosy in the Bible actually represents sin. And, and what it says is that the lepers point to sinners. The cleansing of lepers speaks of salvation and cleansing of sinners like you and me. Amen. It was a foreshadow again. It says this is how they were cleansed. All right, how? You will know that the cleansing was not complete only complete on the eighth day. The eighth day speaks of the resurrection and the new creation. That's only then completed. You see, the leper, the sinner, was cleansed through what? The sacrificial lamb, the blood. And the priest would do this thing. He will bring the blood, wave it before the Lord, and he will put it and it will apply it to the sinner. We need the blood of Christ first to be applied to us. All right? And there were two things applied to the leper. To complete the cleansing, the blood and the oil in that order. In that order. All right? The blood came first and then the oil. The blood is obviously it's a type of Jesus, his sacrifice. All right? It speaks of the blood of Jesus that shed for us, that was shed for us to provide salvation. Amen. Oil, a type of the Holy Spirit. The gift of God that we receive with salvation then. The anointing of God. Oil was sprinkled seven times before the Lord. It speaks of the sevenfold spirits of the Lord. It's mentioned in the book of Revelation. The oil was placed also on the guilt offering, all right? Signifying that Jesus, his sacrifice was consecrated and, and performed through the Spirit. Remember, Jesus speaks, he says that it was the Holy Spirit who led me to the cross. The sacrifice was anointed by God. The blood and the oil were applied to the leper. All right, right ear, this side for you. Right ear, right hand, the thumb, the right foot. All right, and any oil that was left was placed on the head. And we'll get back to that now. You see, remember, God's putting a picture of redemption and sanctification before us. The leper, the sinner, could be cleansed through the blood and then afterwards be anointed with the Holy Spirit, with the oil. And that's the picture for me. It says that even the lowest of the low, the outcast of society, anyone can receive the greatest gift. This is what God tell, tells us and, and told us. Salvation and Holy Spirit is to come. The question is again, like resting on the rock, is have you experienced that? Have you received salvation? and Have you received the anointing of the Holy Spirit? 
Because He does. There's so many attributes of the Holy Spirit. When He comes and He anoints us. When you go to the New Testament, you read about the spiritual reality of the anointing. It's not just the physical oil. But the Bible speaks in many verses that we are anointed with the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1 says, It is God who established us in Christ and has anointed us and put a seal on us and given His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And the Greek word means kreo, which means it's the practice of anointing, like the way that, that we anoint one another. And 1 John 2.20 it's got another word about the anointing. It says, but you've been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. Another translation says, and you know all truth. The Greek word here is chrisma. And the study word speaks of this anointing is the same when they dedicated or consecrated priests, prophets, kings. And he says that we've been anointed by God as a priest, a prophet, a king. You carry that knowledge and that truth. Amen. It reminds you of the calling. So God comes to anoint you, not just because He's the anointed one, but it speaks of us in Christ that He calls you with a specific calling and an anointing to carry something. You're not just here to do your very best. God says, I've got a purpose for you. You are here and you are called and you're anointed by Christ, by the Holy One, and you have knowledge of the truth. You see, but there's a twofold warning around the anointing that we need to understand. And it says this, that God gave specific in Leviticus or Exodus 30 when He gave Moses the ingredients for the anointing oil and the fragrance burnt offering. He says this, or the fragrant offering. He gave specific details, but also specific warnings in making the anointing and on how and who you apply the anointing. All right? Because the anointing was first to consecrate the priests, later the kings, the prophets, and everything in the tabernacle was anointed. All the materials, all the emblems. We're not going to go through that now. But God gave a specific warning around the oil. Exodus 30, 32 and 33 says, It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person, and you shall make no other like it in composition. It's holy and it shall be holy to you. And whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off from his people. There's two things that he says. He says that the oil cannot be put out on a man's flesh. All right? That's a picture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't dwell on those who have flesh, an outsider, meaning those who are not saved, the unbelievers. The Holy Spirit doesn't dwell on them. He says, but it comes on the believer. But he says, also not if you are in works of the flesh. There's no sign, evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit then. He says, you cannot put the oil on the flesh. He says, nor shall make anything like it or according to its composition. In other words, don't try to make something like it, all right, but it's not the same as. Don't try to make something like it, but it's not the same as. And how many times do we do things and we ascribe it to the Holy Spirit, but it's not Him? How many times we do things in church and we say, oh, that's the Spirit of God, but it's not Him? He says, don't try to make something like it, but it's not the same as. And He says, and then you use it yourself. He says, do that and you will be cut off. 
You see, we need to understand that when Christ anoints us that there's a holy place, He says, it is holy and it shall be holy unto you. Amen. It shall be holy unto you. And this is what he says, don't try to counterfeit the true work and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's a true move of God. Don't try to counterfeit that with something that's not the real thing. Let's just get to the last part and be done. Again, remaining of the oil. Remember they had to put it, the blood and the oil on the right ear the thumb, the toe, and then whatever oil was remaining on the head. So it goes in the ear, the hand, the foot, and the head. And if you've got two of them, all right, specifically on the right one. If you want to go and read, there's a reason for right and left. And God speaks of the goats and the sheep. The sheep was on the right. The goats were on the left. That's why I say specifically there's certain things. It speaks of judgment and calling and all these things. That's why when you're called, he says this, to be cleansed, to be called into the kingdom of God, right ear, right thumb, right foot. All right, a specific reason for that. Again, God doesn't say something just because. He speaks his mind very specifically. And it's for good reason. The ear is to hear God's voice. Remember, you are called by him. You're anointed by him and this was the order when the priests were anointed when the kings were anointed the prophets this is how they were anointed on the ear go and how Aaron and his sons were dedicated and anointed as priests it was on the ear the thumb the foot and then the head so that you can hear God's voice so that you can do God's work so that you can walk in his ways so that you can have renewing of your mind. Amen. That's what God calls us in this season. But the important thing is which one, which one was first? The ear. Right? The ear. Because you need to hear what the Spirit has to say in this season. You need to be able to hear. Listening to God's voice is such an important part. Even more in these days. Amen. What does he say? Every single message in the book of Revelation says, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen? Come on, let's stand together. God wants to anoint you. The Holy Spirit is the anointing. And He's here in the midst of us. He's got a plan and a purpose. Just close your eyes. Just for a minute, then we're done. I know we're a bit longer. But God has provided from the greatest to the least His oil. If you're a believer, you're part of God's sheep. And He says, my sheep hear my voice. And as you pray, just close your eyes, just focus on the Lord. What is the still small voice of the Spirit saying? You see, God has anointed you. The book of Peter speaks of that you're a a holy nation, a royal priesthood, called for His calling, set apart, 
being built as living stones. Jesus was the stone anointed for us, becoming the cornerstone for you to be anointed by the Holy One. When you read His Word, what is God placing in your heart? If your heart is worried, maybe He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in me. Maybe He's saying, go and share the good news. Maybe He's saying, hey, forgive that other person. You see, your time of the Lord is so critical. The oil was first placed on the ear so that you can first hear. And Father, I pray this morning that as you called us, let our hearts be new. Father, let our minds be new. Father, let our ears be anointed. And as we stand here, just see how God touches your ear with his blood and with his oil. So that you can hear God's voice. And how God comes in and anoints your hand for the doing of His work. And that God comes in and anoints your feet so that you can walk in His ways. It's not difficult because He says man plans his way but God directs your steps. And if you have an ear to hear and a hand to do His works, He will direct your steps. And you will walk in his ways. And then lastly, he comes and he anoints your head so that you have a renewing of thinking. That you can think the way that God thinks. Father, I pray that we will just come and receive that anointing this morning. The anointing of your oil. That we will rest upon the rock. Not be crushed by it, but God gives you a place of rest and that you can lean your whole weight of your whole life upon that rock Holy Spirit you are so busy with us as a church to shift to move into the fullness to hit our target every time. God, you are faithful. And I bless everyone here, Father, that they will have that fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We honor you. We bless them in Jesus' name, Lord. Father, let us who have an ear hear what the Spirit says. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We would love to pray. Amen. Let's give God glory. Praise God. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to know more about who we are and what we do, go visit lwpe.co.za. You are formed to function. So let's build.